Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our scripture is taken from the book of John, chapter 6, verse 35, which says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. This verse is talking about spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. The context of the verse is that Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and of course the people wanted to continue to get free bread and be on the dole, and of course that wasn't what he was trying to do when he was here on earth. He was here to meet needs, but basically he was here to meet spiritual needs. So he's telling them that they need to hunger after God, and when they do that, that their thirst will be quenched when they receive Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, and have a relationship with Him. This week on Moments in Missions, we would like to share the ministry of our Canadian career missionaries. Nestled deep in the rainforests of Central Africa, 
Mission Go missionaries with caring hearts and skilled hands are working as unto the Lord to treat remote villagers and nomadic individuals with the heart-wrenching disease of leprosy. For the sake of Jesus' name and to build His kingdom, they are not only treating leprosy but also treating brokenness with Jesus' love and gospel. The following story is of Bernard, who came to know the Lord through our ministry. Bernard, was living with his mother in a remote village in northern Congo far away from any medical care. Because he had contracted leprosy, his body was being ravished and destroyed without a normal immune response, and his legs were swollen and covered with huge sores. The Kemia Center Outreach Program, a ministry of Mission Go in the Congo, travels to remote villages to seek out those with leprosy and transport them to the Kemia Center for prolonged treatment. Due to the medicines, treatment takes approximately a year to administer and achieve remission of the disease. When he observed the care and concern our Mission Go missionary, Guy Serge, gave to Bernard in caring for the bandaging his wounds, Bernard to come to Kemia Center to receive the multi-drug therapy for healing. At the Kemia Center, Bernard began to see improvements in his body as he took his medicine regularly, had a balanced diet, and had plenty of clean water to drink and wash with as often as he liked. Best of all, he was respected and loved by those who were treating him. This opened his heart to hear and believe the word of God that was shared every day during morning devotions. Every Sunday morning, our Mission Go missionaries, Sarah and Guy Serge, hold a church service at the Kemia Center. Guy Serge speaks to patients in their language and invites everyone to give their hearts to Jesus. One Sunday, Bernard raised his hand, signifying that he accepted Jesus as his Savior. Several months later, Bernard was baptized. Shortly afterward, Bernard received a Lingala Bible, and because he is literate, he quickly became a leader in the Bible lessons. He read around to other patients for the morning devotions, as well as during the day and in the evening with some of his friends at the Kemia Center before bedtime. What a joy to see him living out Psalm 1 verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and night. We will continue the story of Bernard during next week's broadcast. We pray this story has touched your heart about how Mission Go missionaries are on the front line in remote locations. Servicing the forgotten people groups, in the deep rainforests of Central Africa, we request your prayer for the field missionaries and the people they serve. If you wish more information you can write Canada National Bible Hour, the address is provided at the end of this broadcast or email us at media at missiongo.org, ask for more information about the Kemia Center. for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour and for your prayer and financial support over the years. Uh, we continue to remind people that uh, we can't be on the air without their faithful prayers and their gifts to sustain this ministry. This month we're giving away a wonderful booklet entitled Decision Making by June Hunt. This is a wonderful little booklet that explains how to find God's will actually for your life and how to make good decisions. Some of the things it talks about is how to make the most important decision, how to develop discernment in your life, how to discern the spirits leading in your life, and then other topics like how to overcome procrastination and peer pressure, how does God reveal his will. Really a wonderful booklet. I really recommend it highly 
and ask that you write in to get your free copy by writing to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7 Alpha 7, 787, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. And don't forget to ask for your copy of Decision Making. Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning and is entitled, Things Which Must Surely Come to Pass. Printed copies are available upon request. In recent broadcasts, we've been talking about what the scriptures call things which must shortly come to pass. We've examined three areas in which there is reason to believe events of far-reaching significance will take place in the not far distant future. This conclusion is based on two premises. One, when we see certain situations already developing, simple logic and a knowledge of the laws of cause and effect enable us to predict with a fair degree of accuracy what the ultimate consequences will be. Two, the prophetic scriptures give an even more accurate and comprehensive insight into what the future holds in store. No one should deny himself or herself the valuable foreknowledge that can be acquired from these two sources of prophetic insight. 
In our opening talks, we discussed two future developments of worldwide importance, which ultimately will result from situations already evident. The first is the very real probability that the monetary systems of some nations ultimately will collapse as a result of pyramiding and self-perpetuating debt. Usury, which is an integral part of the system, creates more aggregate debt than the system generates money to repay it. The result is a progressive increase in the aggregate of private, corporate, and public debt, which in recent years has reached astronomical levels. Because debt creates more debt in the form of interest, it is not only self-perpetuating, but it pyramids, that is, the aggregate amount, not only grows, but it grows at an ever-increasing rate. The only way the unpayable portion of the aggregate debt represented by interest charges can be liquidated is some form of debt repudiation or other method of cancellation. Now, this is what takes place when individuals or corporations seek relief from unpayable debt through bankruptcy, something that is happening on an ever-increasing scale. But even more serious, whole nations now are perilously close to national bankruptcy and the repudiation of billions of dollars of foreign debt. Debtor nations have been propped up by advances from the International Monetary Fund and by creditor nations lending them still more to pay the interest on what they've already borrowed. But obviously this pyramiding of unpayable debt cannot go on indefinitely without precipitating a major international financial crisis. The economic and social consequences are frightening to contemplate. Then we looked at another situation that is developing today in the area of human attitudes. This was drawn to our attention by the Apostle Paul in the third chapter of his second letter to his co-worker Timothy. I hope you'll reread that chapter and see how clearly it describes a wide range of human characteristics and attitudes which have become commonplace in 20th century society. Paul points out that the consequences of these attitudes and characteristics will be what he refers to as the perilous times of the last days. Having regard to how prominent these characteristics and attitudes are today, it's reasonable to conclude that the perilous times which he says they will produce are among those things which must shortly come to pass. In our last talk, we examined one of the specific biblical prophecies concerning that same future time. We noted the sequence of events foretold in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The first, which may take place at any time, is the appearing of Jesus Christ to remove his church and the Holy Spirit from this world. The removal of the restraining influence of the Church and the Holy Spirit will open the way for the coming Antichrist to emerge on the world scene. I want to say more about this in a moment, but first, be sure you understand the rest of what Paul foretells in 2 Thessalonians 2. He points out that prior to Christ's true Church being removed, satanic influences will be actively at work conditioning the human race to accept the leadership of the coming Antichrist when he emerges on the world scene. 
The mystery of iniquity doth already work, Paul says. That is, the evil characteristics in human nature are right now working to undermine faith in and loyalty to God and Jesus Christ and the Bible and the eternal verities it affirms. The Antichrist coming, Paul says, will be after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. That again is something clearly evident on every side today. Society already is well conditioned not only to tolerate, but to embrace godlessness and immorality and dishonesty and violence and all the other evil things which will be personified in the Antichrist, including the acceptance of a world government of which he will become the supreme godless head. You know, and you see how far this conditioning process already has advanced. Surely it is reasonable to assume that the appearing of Christ to remove his church and the Holy Spirit must be very near at hand. May I now direct your attention to a passage of Scripture found in the greatest source of foreknowledge in the entire Bible. I refer to the last book of the New Testament, commonly called the Book of the Revelation. This book of prophecy is unique in that it was given by God himself to his son Jesus Christ, who in turn, through an angelic emissary, conveyed it to the apostle John while he was in exile on the Isle of Patmos. The Holy Spirit wrote a foreword to this prophetic masterpiece. Let me read what he wrote. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. The first eight verses of the sixth chapter of the Revelation describes what are referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse, about whom much has been said and written over the years. I think it would be both interesting and profitable to re-examine what this unusual passage of Scripture tells us about those things which must shortly come to pass. May I read the first two verses of Revelation chapter 6? I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. These verses and those that follow foretell in symbolic language four major developments of worldwide importance for the days ahead. They're significant not only because those events will profoundly affect all peoples and nations, but because they give an insight into important changes in public attitudes which must precede these developments and which are, in fact, the very changes we see taking place at the present time. 
Time-wise, Revelation 6 is speaking of developments on this earth after the Church of Christ has been removed and the future Antichrist has emerged on the world scene. In his vision, the Apostle John saw a book sealed with seven seals. The book contained God's indictment against the world that had repudiated him, rejected and crucified his beloved Son, and chosen to go its own way. When the book of seals is opened, there will take place a series of events embodying divine judgment on a generation who have become completely godless and wholly given over to the pursuit of human desires. Listen carefully to John's description of what he saw when the Lamb opened the first of the seals. I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. A rider on a white horse. A horse, when used symbolically in Scripture, represents something strong, powerful. White speaks of perfection or goodness. The saints in glory, the Bible says, are arrayed in white robes. In Revelation 19, there is a symbolic description of Christ's personal return to this earth to establish his millennial kingdom. There he is depicted as mounted on a white horse. That is, coming with power and majesty and all his divine perfection and holiness. There is a striking similarity between the description of Christ as the rider on the white horse in Revelation 19 and the rider on the white horse that John saw in his vision recorded in chapter 6. Now, either they both, sim- both symbolize Christ or else the rider on the white horse in Revelation 6 is a pretender, a counterfeit, a usurper of the role God intends should be Christ at his alone. The context bears out the latter conclusion. The goal of the rider on the white horse in Revelation 6 is to conquer. He goes forth with that objective. He's given a crown by people willing to vest authority in him and accept him as their leader. He has a bow in his hand. The bow symbolizes both a promise and an instrument of conquest. Now, when Christ comes, Revelation 19 says, he will have on his vesture a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The rider on the white horse in Revelation 6 has no revealed name. He will conceal his true identity until he succeeds in his crusade to conquer the allegiance of men. All this clearly suggests that the rider on the white horse in Revelation 6 symbolizes the coming Antichrist. He will represent himself as the champion of a new world order of justice and equity and peace. He will denounce the establishment of the past. He'll hold out promises of a new world order, a new morality, a new financial and economic system, a new political structure. He will be a world federalist and a crusader for world government, a self-proclaimed champion of the poor and oppressed. You well, the scriptures say, do that which his fathers have not done nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoils and riches. He will take from those who have and give to those who have not. 
the whole world will wonder after him and say, Who is like unto him? They will put him at the head of a world government. And only when it is too late will they realize that they've given unlimited power to a ruthless dictator who will require all men to give their allegiance to him before they will be permitted even to buy or sell. Now all this takes on added significance in the light of what is happening today. The establishment of world government, headed by a socialistic radical world leader, will be, will be possible only when the foundations and bulwarks of a free and democratic society have first been destroyed. It will not be possible until the majority of people have lost respect for and confidence in democratic government and our competitive enterprise economic system. It will happen only when the old standards of morality and self-discipline will have been abandoned and our present social and economic and political orders undermined to the point where the public clamor will be death to the entire old order and a demand for someone ready to bring into being a whole new collectivist society with a world government under which humanism will flourish and human desires be fulfilled without the restraints imposed by the old convictions on a morality based on a recognition of man's responsibility to a sovereign God. There was a time when this would have been difficult to imagine that such an attitude on the part of mankind would ever be possible. But this is no longer so. The disintegration of traditional moral, social, economic, and political structures going on today makes this ultimate outcome not only possible, but inevitable, unless there is individual and national repentance and a turning back to God on a scale far greater than we have ever seen before. It is possible because there's no limit to God's amazing grace, and God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance but the decision rests with mankind. That's why week by week through this radio broadcast we appeal to you and to the people of this nation to turn back to God and His righteousness while you have the opportunity. Won't you take at least the first step today by inviting Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior and Sovereign Lord and committing your life unreservedly to Him. If you will, bow your head wherever you are listening, and tell Him so right now as our invitation hymn is sung. May God bless you. I trust that you enjoyed the previous biblical message. Hopefully that it will have a meaningful impact on your life throughout this next week. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we're concerned that not only people grow in their faith, but also that they know Jesus Christ personally because without a personal relationship with the God of the universe, we don't go to heaven, we go to the other place. The Bible's clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we need to have faith in our Savior. The Lord Jesus loved us. He thought so much about you that he actually sacrificed himself for you in the cross of Calvary. There he bore your sins 
every last one of them in his own body as he hung on the tree. He took your place. He was your substitute. He died there. But on the third day, he rose again. And he's alive. He wants to have a relationship with you. And you get that relationship by humbling yourself, confessing your sins, and asking Jesus to come into your life. And if you do those things, you will be redeemed by his precious blood that was shed on that cross. And you'll be a new person. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. This month, we are giving away a free booklet entitled Decision Making. It's a wonderful book that will help you to discern God's will, will discern the leading of the Spirit in your own life. And I trust that you'll write in for your copy of Decision Making. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can also hear past broadcasts on our website at www.missiongo.org. That's M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O.org. We're so thankful that you have tuned in today, and we trust that God will continue to bless you throughout the next week. Please don't forget to pray for us and uh, pray for our financial situation through the summer where things are more difficult. May the Lord bless you and keep you in a mighty way.